Welcome, everybody. I'm Cynthia Hanna, a passionate biblical educator, author, and host of the Holy Land Revealed podcast, where I share wisdom and insights about the Holy Land, known today as the Land of Israel, that are hidden inside the Jewish biblical text, and I bring it out for all to see and learn. I strive to make this podcast accessible to all, so I simplify and explain different biblical concepts so that anybody of any faith or background can understand why the land of Israel is so important from inside the biblical text itself. I interweave a wide array of Torah, Hasidic, and Kabbalistic commentators alongside the knowledge that has been passed down to me through a variety of incredible teachers that I've been privileged to study under for the last 11 years here in the Holy Land itself. And if you enjoy this podcast and want to go more in depth, I also teach small groups online where we get deeper into the text, we look at different sources, and we have wonderful group discussions. You can find out more at holylandrevealedpodcast.com or on all your social media feeds. Thanks for joining. In today's podcast, I explain Jacob's famous ladder dream, where did the dream take place, and what's the connection between Abraham, King David, and the Jewish temple. I also explain Jacob's promises, Jerusalem, spiritual vortexes, and Isaiah's prophecy for the future. There's a lot packed in there, so enjoy. In the Torah portion of Vayetzi, which translates to He Went Out, because it begins with Genesis 28.10, with Jacob going out, leaving his father's house after feuding with Esau over the blessing of the firstborn. Now, Jacob heads towards Haran to his uncle Lavan's house. But before he leaves the Holy Land, the text says that he encountered that place. Now, one of the greatest and most prolific Torah commentators, Rashi, explains that the use of the words that place Bamakom infers that this specific place was already mentioned before, because in order to have a that place, first we need to have a the place, right? And so where do we see the place mentioned for the first time? No other than in Genesis 22.4, when Abraham sets out for the place, Hamakom, which is no other than Mount Moriah, the very same spot where Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, almost sacrificed his son Isaac, in the same site where the Jewish temple would eventually stand. But when Jacob arrived, it was night, and he didn't realize that he was standing on sacred ground. And he lays down his head and has his prophetic ladder dream, where he sees a ladder set between heaven and earth, where the text says that angels of God are going up and down. And there, standing next to Jacob, was the essence of God himself. And what does God say to Jacob? Okay, let's go inside the text to analyze. It's in Genesis 28, starting with verse 13. I'm going to do it in three segments, so follow along. The first verse, Genesis 28:13, goes as follows. And standing besides him was Adonai, who says, I am Adonai, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The ground on which you are standing on, I will assign to you and to your offspring. End quote. 
Okay, so we see that right off the bat, the first time that God is speaking to Jacob, he introduces himself and reminds Jacob of his lineage and the obligation that comes with it. The mention of the God of Abraham in this text teaches us that the merit of God's relationship with Jacob and his descendants was due to the merit of Abraham, which we've spoken about in an earlier podcast, that the holy mission of the Jewish people is due to the merit of Abraham, along with the mission of teaching to the world about one God, the creator, the force, the universe, whatever you want to call it. So God then repeats the promise that he had made to Abraham and Isaac, that the ground which Jacob was standing on, meaning the future land of Israel, he would assign to his offspring. Again, this is the promise that's reiterated over and over across the biblical text, that this land is forever bound up with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, known today as the Jewish people. The Jews, the Torah, which are the commandments and traditions in serving connecting to God, and the land of Israel, where we are supposed to physically implement God's commandments, are all connected. You can't separate the Torah and the Jewish people from the land of Israel. Also, by God reiterating the promise that he had made to Abraham and Isaac, this also affirms to Jacob that he was right in taking the firstborn blessing from his brother Esau, that he was the righteous spiritual heir of Abraham, not Esau. Okay, next verse, Genesis 28, 14. So it says, Your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you and your descendants. End quote. Now, let's look at this. Your descendants shall be like dust. Now, dust, although it goes everywhere, dust is usually at the bottom tread upon, walked over, like the Jewish people have been treated throughout our history. But nonetheless, dust is everywhere. And despite the Jews would always be treated like dirt or dust, so to speak, the merit of Abraham was so powerful that despite everything that the Jewish people have gone through and suffered through, not only have we survived, but we're still here today, despite the odds against us. Because as we see beautifully connected to a verse in Isaiah 52:2, when speaking of the future redemption, the prophet Isaiah says that Israel will eventually shake off its dust and finally sit back in its throne in Zion, meaning Jerusalem, which, thanks to God, we now have back. Okay, in the third verse in the section, Genesis 28:15, God says, Remember, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. End quote. Now, this was God consoling Jacob because God knows our innermost fears, our desires. He knows our deepest parts. And he knew that Jacob was afraid of not only venturing into the unknown, but also that in leaving his father's house, he might lose not only his family, but his part in the story of the house of Abraham. God consoles Jacob and says, don't worry, you'll come back to this land. I won't leave you. This was comforting to Jacob and serves as a North Star, so to speak, that Jacob's on a mission. He's not alone and he's promised a return. So after this prophetic ladder dream, Jacob comes back to consciousness and he's in shock. He says, wow, 
God is present in this place, and I did not know it. When Jacob realized he's in the holiest of the holiest places, he's frightened, because had he known, he wouldn't have slept there. He then states in Genesis 28:17, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the abode of God, and that is the gateway to heaven. When Jacob realized the magnitude of where he was standing, he then says, If God remains with me, protecting me on this journey that I am making, and giving me bread to eat and clothing to wear, and when I return safely to my father's house, Adonai shall be my God. And after making this vow, Jacob concretizes his promise and builds a pillar and says, This shall be a house of God. Now, Jacob understood he's standing on a type of spiritual vortex, the point of connection between the higher and the lower worlds, where heaven and earth meet, so to speak. In Judaism, we call this specific spot the Evan Shtiat, which translates to the foundation stone, the point from where the world was created from. And the location of this point, according to most Jewish sources, is on Mount Moriah, the same place where we see later in the text, in Deuteronomy 12, that God wanted to be worshipped, where God wanted his name to dwell. This same spot was later revealed by Samuel the prophet to King David, and it's where his son, King Solomon, had the merit to build the magnificent Jewish temple, the house where God's name and presence dwelled, where God wanted people to pray and to connect to him, which they did when the temple was built with their tithes, their offerings, their sacrifices, their contributions, all that they had to bring, to connect, and to celebrate with God. And although the Israelites, and specifically the Kohanim, the priests, led the religious and ritual services according to God's decree and design, the temple was a place for everyone, Jew and non-Jew, to come to pray and worship. It eventually was a house of God, as Jacob had promised. And it will forever be a house of God, not just for the Jewish people, but for all of humanity, as it was, as it is today, especially with the freedom of religion granted and guarded by the state of Israel. And it will forever be a house of God, as we see in Isaiah 56, 7, when the prophet Isaiah revealed that in the redemptive time, I will bring them to my sacred mount and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Today, it's been 2,000 years since the Jewish temple was destroyed. And all that we have left physically from the temple's time is the Western retaining wall. It is considered the most sacred physical place in the Jewish tradition, serving as a reminder that all hope is not gone, that it's still holding on, just like the Jewish people. And we await the time when the Jewish temple will be rebuilt. But... In the meantime, since there's no official temple that performs rituals as described in the biblical text, what we do have today is numerous synagogues, churches, and mosques that are built around Mount Moriah, which is enclosed and surrounded by the walls of the old city of Jerusalem. As a result, Jerusalem never lost its status as God's holy place. Today, the descendants of all three Abrahamic faiths representing billions of people around the world, all come together to Jerusalem to pray. Because there's something very spiritually significant here. I, I see it all the time. 
this is why when when people come to pray here in Jerusalem, very often something overcomes them and they start crying. Because while they can't verbalize it, their soul on a deeper level knows and their body expresses it. This is holy ground. This is the same reaction that Jacob had. And this is why King David wrote in Psalm 128 that God will bless you from Zion. Because it's here, from the foundation stone, this spiritual vortex where God sends his blessings from Jerusalem out to the rest of the world. And as someone who has been blessed and privileged to live here for the past 11 years, the miracles and miraculous things that I have personally witnessed and seen no longer shock me, but still leaving me feeling awe and appreciation for God.